Travel creates stories. Unforgettable stories that can make us smile, laugh, or even cry. I'm David Calderon, and you're listening to Out of Office, powered by Contiki. This podcast is for people who love to travel. In each episode, we'll be talking about hot topics and intriguing destinations. On today's episode, I'm going to be chatting to content creator Max Homer about everything you need to do in Peru that isn't Machu Picchu. And I'll be talking electric planes and the future of air travel with Misty Foster and Kevin Nortker. But first, think about this. For those of us who don't have specific dietary requirements, we have the luxury of not having to worry about what we're going to eat while traveling and discovering the world. Now, I've heard stories about vegetarians having a tough time finding suitable meals while away on holiday. But what about vegans? Do all travel destinations cater for vegans? Claire Every, a.k.a. the Little London Vegan, is here to convince me that traveling as a vegan is easier than people think. Welcome to the podcast, Claire. Hi, thanks for having me. Thank you. So how long have you been vegan? I've actually... I'm about to come up to my one-year anniversary. Uh, congratulations. Thank yes, you. That, is, that is an accomplishment. It's not easy. <laughs> yeah, no, it's not. It's really not. Um, I was veggie for a couple of years before I was vegan, and I was a massive meat eater before that. So I know better than anyone how hard the transition can be. Um, but yeah, almost a year, and I've loved every second of it. What prompted you to kind of make this change for yourself? Yeah, it's funny. I think there are a few reasons why people do it. Um, some people do it for, for a combination of reasons. There's like people do it for the environment or like you said, your health. Mine, animal welfare. Animal welfare was my primary reason. Um, I watched some documentaries about, I guess, where our food comes from. I'd never really put the dots together, you know, and it just really struck a chord with me. And I thought, actually, this is something I really agree with. And I started to look into the options and what a vegan lifestyle really meant. And I thought, yeah, do you know what? I'm going to give it a go. And yeah, I haven't looked back. So how has traveling impacted your food choices? So... Do you know what? I used to go traveling. I mean, I've, tra- I've always traveled a lot. Um, and one of the things I used to really love about traveling it was you could just discover a town, you could be wandering around, exploring a city, um, and you could just dug into a restaurant that looked cute and you fancied the menu. Um, you can't do that when you go vegan. I'm not going to lie. It is, it is different. You have to plan things more meticulously. So, I mean... I, I quite enjoy that side of things. So before I go on a trip, I'll, I'm lucky enough to have an audience where I can ask people what the best places are. But I also do some research of my own. Um, and I say, OK, what are the best vegan restaurants in this city? I plan it. I put them on a little Google map so I know where to go. And I found that actually doing that means that you get to discover the coolest parts of a city. Without sounding ridiculous, the vegan restaurants always tend to be in like the hip, trendy areas that no, maybe... It's true. Yeah. yeah. And maybe you wouldn't discover those areas unless you were going to these restaurants. So my boyfriend and I now go to cities basically for a food tour and then everything else kind of comes in between. (laughs) We Um, work it around the restaurants. (laughs) Yeah, literally. So bad, but so great. (laughs) Um, But yes, I think think it's, it's given us a chance to explore different things about a city. And obviously it does differ between cities because some t- cities are amazing for vegan food uh, and others are sort of catching up. And I think the longer you're vegan, the more you, 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 you're aware of ingredients. So you think, I know what goes into this and I know what to ask for. And you sort of know what needs to be omitted from a recipe to make it vegan. So you, I mean, it depends on your language skills as well, how confident you are speaking to the chefs and the waiters about it. But you can kind of work around it that way as well. Yeah. Um, where, have yeah. you, where in the world have you gone and experienced the best vegan food? So I was recently in Berlin, 
and I thought it was amazing. The okay. vegan options there are spectacular. Like it's just, I mean, it's no surprise. Berlin has been voted one of the capital, you know, the vegan capitals of the world. And it really is like there's, it's not just vegan restaurants. You can go into Omni restaurants as well and order vegan options, which is, I think, one thing that's really important because you don't always go traveling with other vegans. You know, you want to be able to walk in anywhere. Rarely do you go traveling with other vegans. <laughs> never. <laughs> so sometimes that's really nice to have that option as well. You don't always want to go into a vegan-specific restaurant. Yeah. Um, so yeah, Berlin was amazing for that. Do they have more than like one option? Because I feel like the restaurants I usually go to, even if you ask for like a vegetarian option, it's like, and here's your one. <laughs> yes, uh, the garden salad. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, it's amazing. Like, especially in Berlin, the places I went to were vegan-only places just because I wanted to experience them while I was there. But we went to this place called 1990 Vegan Living, I think it's called. Um, and the food, it was just an entire menu of incredible vegan food. Like, it was just Heaven. unreal. <laughs> if you had to pick a, uh, your favourite vegan dish, what would it be? Ooh. Like, if you were like, here's your last vegan dish ever of your life. <sighs> it's going to be a tie between vegan macaroni cheese oh, okay. and a vegan burger with the Beyond Meat patty. Because that is, that just gives me life. It gives me so much life. It's so great. I love it. Well, that's fair. I mean, those, <laughs> I would try both of those. I've actually heard that vegan mac and cheese is very, very good. It is. Uh. I think vegan cheese gets such a hard rap, like such a hard time because when, when I first went vegan, even a couple of years ago, it was pretty dire. Um, but there are so many brands doing it now and it's, it's improving all the time and you can get some really great options now. It doesn't taste exactly the same as cheese, I'll be honest, but you sort of, I think your taste buds change a little bit when you go vegan as well and you start to appreciate different things and different flavours that maybe you haven't had before. You just, I think you just adapt a little bit and I think you just discover so many different things. Like I, my range of cuisines now is so much wider than before I ate vegan food. You know, we talk about vegan food like it's this new thing, but some cultures have been creating you know, their food is naturally vegan and has been for thousands of years. And, you know, um, South Indian food is amazing and uh, Ethiopian food and Caribbean food. So, yeah, I've, I've never had any of those things before I went vegan. So. so for our listeners, do you have any other tips or secrets to eating vegan wherever you are? Yeah. So my top tip and something that's got me through quite a lot of, uh, of tough travel times is the Happy Cow website slash app. Um, it's incredible. It's basically a directory of vegan restaurants and cafes and, and it's listed by your city. It's listed by you can search by city uh, and then you can use filters to search for restaurants that offer vegan options or restaurants that are purely vegan. Uh, and it's just amazing. Like it's it's helped me through so many times because you can see them on a map and you can decide what's close to you, where you want to go. It's got like you know, it's got details about the restaurant. It's so it's such a lifesaver. Do the users rate the restaurants as well? I don't think they do actually. I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure they don't. It's not like a TripAdvisor style. It's basically just a directory. directory. But you never know. Like I feel like they're progressing all the time. It might get to that stage because okay. that would be helpful. For yeah, sure. yeah, you're like mm, five star. There we go. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> five star vegan. <laughs> um. In your opinion, what do you think is the best destination to visit if you are vegan? Can I be really biased and say London? No, you can't. You don't have to be I biased. Mean, Not that we're recording in <laughs> London, but no, go ahead. <laughs> I mean, obviously, I've had a lot more exposure to London than other cities, so this could be completely biased. But I just think London has come so far in the last two years. It's incredible. We're so lucky to live in a city with a wealth of options. I mean, like I was saying before, it's not just vegan restaurants. It's you can walk into a burger joint and you can get a vegan burger now that tastes like me and looks like me. And it's just nuts. Like 
there's new vegan restaurants opening every week and it's just it's crazy there's vegan festivals there's vegan nights it's just an amazing place to be vegan it really is no no i i definitely agree with you i mean so most of my life i've lived in kind of like big cities so those are the places that you said like you know kind of like the trendy spots where you would find such food options sure so i definitely understand that it's much harder for people who maybe don't live in like such cities to find those options no absolutely do you have any tips over like something that they can probably make easily at home it depends what you're into because there's a lot of people who like the meat-free substitutes, but there's also a lot of people who prefer the natural route. I My go-to meal when I'm either feeling lazy or tired and just want something really quick and easy <laughs> um, is curry. Like I absolutely love curry. You can do Thai curries with coconut milk or you can do uh, Indian curries, like tomato-based Indian curries. It's just so quick and easy. And you, obviously you can make them taste however you want, so they can taste incredible. Like the spices you can use is just... You know, you can make it the way you want it. So there it is. Curry. (laughs) (laughs) Revolutionary. (laughs) All right. So convince me. Give me three reasons why traveling as a vegan is easier than people think. That's tough. Okay, so one, uh, as we were discussing before, there are apps like Happy Cow now where they've done the legwork for you. Uh, you don't have to even do any research if you don't want. You can literally turn up in a country uh, and and you know what is available for you. I think two... uh, the increase or the you know expansion of the vegan movement has meant that more and more restaurants are on board with this now. It's not as difficult to go to a city now and find an option as it used to be. And three, I think there's a lot of um, there's a lot of people online, like social media influencers and bloggers, who are highlighting these places for you. So you can go on it onto Instagram and you can find I don't know maybe there's a little German vegan. Um, <laughs> and you've got someone grab that handle right now. <laughs> yeah, someone's going to copyright that. And you can and you can so people are so willing to help especially in the vegan movement. I've messaged people when I've been overseas before and said I need tips I'm going to the city and they're more than often very happy to give you a list of places that you need to go to. So I just feel like a lot of the hard work that used to be there has been taken away. Um, it's not as hard as it used to be. Well, thank you, Claire, for stopping by. Thanks for having me. So if people wanted to follow you so they can see all your vegan recommendations, is it just at the Little London Vegan? That's the one. Yeah, yeah. look her up. <laughs> thank you so much, Claire. Thank you for having me. Thanks so much to Claire Avery for her insights into vegan travel. We all know travel experiences weren't created equal. If you travel for the gram and you have a thing for the weird, wonderful, and unique, you are going to love the next part of the podcast, suitably called Travel Porn. Today, we're talking about everything to do in Peru that isn't Machu Picchu with film student and content creator Max Homer. How's it going, Max? Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. So when did you visit Peru? I literally just arrived back from my trip on Monday. Oh, wow. You fresh off the boat. Yeah. Most people, when they think about Peru, think Machu Picchu. Why do you think that is? I'm guilty of thinking that. It's it's a wonder of the world. Like, it's Machu Picchu. It's unreal to witness. And there's so much, like, history behind it. You're going to educate us about the rest of Peru because Peru is much more than just Machu Picchu. So where should we start? To start it off, there's a traditional drink called Pisco. It's their national like drink. It's like a brandy type of drink. It's probably best to try in the city of Lima. Lima is the capital of Peru and it's framed mm-hmm. by a coastline of ragged cliff edge, which is pretty unreal to see. And it's a very old city with a touch of like modernization. So Lima is made up of whole different number of districts and there's a district called Barranco which is considered like the Bohemian district okay it's probably I would say the most gorgeous colorful 
part of town. When you go to Lima, you can't miss it. Okay, so Pisco Sour in Lima. What would you say is your second point to do that isn't Machu Picchu? I had a few second guesses about it, but it's to try guinea pig. <gasps> guinea pigs. You know I have two guinea pigs. That's a lie. I have one guinea pig now, Frodo. You ate, a <laughs> guinea, you ate Frodo. Well, this one was named Peter. So It actually had a name? Oh, right. man. It, they came out and they said it was Peter. And we were like, oh. And how was but it? It was actually really nice. So um, guinea pigs like considered like a delicacy over there. It was weird having it but it's like a mix between like a chicken and a beef so it was quite tasty but it wasn't as like tender as chicken but like so um, do, do they serve it like what like on a skewer or yeah so it can be grilled or roasted and it came out in the shape of a guinea pig oh no i can't i'm gonna have to tap out on that one. <laughs> i don't eat crustaceans for this exact reason <laughs> <laughs> oh wow all right what is the third thing to do third thing to do would and is a definite must would be like visit the ancient ruins of the Incas throughout Peru and mostly in Cusco. Okay. There's like heaps of different ancient ruins that come from like the Inca period. Oh, so what's the feeling when you're like in one of these like ancient ruins? There's parts of it you go to and there's not many people around. It's that big. Mm-hmm. So it gives you that moment to, I guess, imagine what it was like back in those times and what they used it for. All right. What would you say is your fourth tip? Visit the Amazon. So the Amazon apparently produces 20% of the world's oxygen. If you're up for an adventure and you think you're pretty adventurous, it's definitely a must do. It took about where we stayed in the Kentucky special stay. It took about an hour of hiking through the mud in the pitch black to get to the hotel. And it took about four canoes. But yeah, there was heaps of like nature and wildlife around. Like we spent one of the days on the lakes in canoes looking for wildlife. So we saw like heaps of monkeys and alligators and giant otters in groups eating fish, which was pretty cool to see. All right. So what would be your fifth tip? You're in Peru and there's a lot of culture there. So you probably want to get amongst the culture and see some traditional stuff. So visiting the Treadwright Weaving Centre in Cusco is definitely a thing to do if you're up for culture and whatnot and you'll see a lot of alpacas and llamas along the way we watched a few very talented locals who were wearing like traditional dress weaving items from the alpaca and llama wool you would just sit there and watch them do their work and it was looks very complicated mm-hmm. because they told us that some of these items which would be like gloves beanies alpaca jumpers alpaca ponchos and and like rugs and towels and stuff like some of these items would take up to three months of weaving um just the one item so what would be your number six tip moving back to the capital city of lima Mm -hmm. one of the famous landmarks in lima is the bridge of size okay so the bridge of size in the 1800s was that was when it was built it was a place for writers and poets as well as lovers to meet and still today remains as a symbol of love Okay. So that's in the district of Barranco. And legends say that those who can hold their breath the whole way, walking across the whole bridge, they will see their wishes come true. So we were told to walk across the bridge, make a uh, make a wish and not breathe. And apparently it would have come true. Is it a long walk? Or can you like run it? <laughs> no, oh, it's not long at all. It's not long. Okay, like so it's not impossible minutes. to do. It's like, okay. <laughs> no, no, no. You don't, it's, not, it's not risky at all. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Awesome. Well, then, what would be your final thing to do in Peru that is a Machu Picchu that you're like, you have to do when you go? 
this was my highlight of the trip, mm-hmm. um, is hiking the Rainbow Mountain. I actually did not know what a Rainbow Mountain was in Peru until I looked it up on the internet. So tell us, what's the Rainbow Mountain? The Rainbow Ma- Mountain, it's a few hours drive out of Cusco. Mm-hmm. There's a group of mountains around it, and it's literally just like rainbow-colored mountains, like stripes of different colors. Um, something I've never seen before with my own eyes. And it's about 14,000 feet in the sky, so about 5,200 meters above sea level. Mm -hmm. So it's quite a high altitude um, hike. I found it to be the best hike I've ever done in my whole entire life so far. The moment like you reach the top and see the Rainbow Mountain for the first time is such an an amazing and amazing accomplishment Mm -hmm. and something you'll definitely remember forever because photos did not give it justice at all. Yeah, I was actually like looking at like so many of the photos and I was just like, oh my God, to just like even be there to like see that in person has to be just like a completely different experience for sure. Completely different and so much better to see things with your own eyes. Well, thank you very much, Mr. Max, for coming on to our episode of Travel Port and letting us know the things to do in Peru that isn't Machu Picchu. Thank you for having me. We all want to live more ethically, don't we? Sustainability is something we're all thinking about, whether it's how to tread lightly when we travel or new inventions to help protect the world we live in. That's what this part of the podcast, Happy Planet, is all about. Today, we're talking about electric planes and the future of the aerospace industry. Joining us is Kevin Nordker, CEO of Ampere, and Misty Foster, founder of the Green Suitcase Travel. How are you guys? I'm doing well. How are you? Doing very well. Thank you. Good, good. Thank you for joining us today's episode. So starting with you, Misty, tell me about Green Suitcase Travel. Where did that inspiration behind the idea come from? Yeah, so Green Suitcase Travel started with an idea. I wanted to travel more, just like many people do. And I grew up in the South where the motto, leave a place better than you found it, is really instilled in you. <laughs> you, you know, start with your bedroom, but it extends out to the outer world. And so once I started traveling, I started to see my direct impact. And, you know, I started looking online for what information was out there about traveling sustainably and what that even looks like and is that even possible and as you can imagine sustainable travel isn't it's not inherently sustainable to travel it's it's just not but there are ways to do it better right so when someone who wants to travel more sustainably comes to you for advice what sort of things would you recommend Sure. So at GST, we help folks travel on purpose by taking a look at your environmental, your social and your economic impact when you travel. And for me, that really means matching your choices with your values. We kind of offer a variety of services such as trip planning. We also work with businesses in the sustainable tourism industry to you know, do content marketing services. And then my, I have myself and a group of contributors have the blog and we are constantly sharing stories of what that looks like on a practical level. Okay, cool. So what would you say are some of the common misconceptions people make when they think about sustainable travel? I think a lot of people think it's hard and expensive and it certainly can be. Any Anytime you travel, it can add up. And if you want to have luxury experiences, that can be quite a bit out of pocket. But I actually think it's a lot more affordable to travel sustainably because you're gonna be taking public transportation when you're on the ground. You can shop locally at farmers markets and bodegas and little shops that are, you know, maybe not charging an arm and a leg for their wares. Um, Mm -hmm. If you take bikes, if you take walking tours, there's a lot of free walking tours, museums. 
Yeah, it also sounds like you could get more of an authentic experience anyways that way. Absolutely. And then in, on the accommodation side, if you don't want to spend a lot of money on a hotel, there are plenty of really, really fun, authentic homestay programs. No matter which way you cut it, though, like if you're traveling something far away, you have to fly there. And we know flying on an airplane, that in itself is not good for the environment. And that has a big effect on the world in general. What are your thoughts about traveling and like flying more sustainably? Right. So as it stands, your options are to carbon offset, which is a great way to do that, but it's not easy for people to parse through the information and to really understand where their offsets are going if your money is actually going towards the project they say it's going to. Um, You know, my biggest recommendation is take a direct flight. Try, Try slow travel once you get to your destination. Don't hop around as much as you can. Um, spend a few weeks in a destination, and that really cuts back on emissions. But obviously, these are these are only short-term solutions, and the aviation industry as a whole really needs to be revolutionized, and there needs to be better alternatives. So, you know, my biggest my biggest recommendation is take a direct flight. Try not to take multiple flights when you're at your destination. Try. Uh, ground transportation if you can. Yeah, speaking about like changes in the aviation industry, Kevin, um, tell us a little bit more about Ampere and what its vision for the future of aviation means for Ampere. Uh, Thanks, David. Um, So uh, at Ampere, our mission is to be the world's most trusted developer of practical, compelling electric aircraft. So as uh, Misty described here, there are some issues with with air travel and the impact that it has on our environment. And we're focused on taking all of the great technology which has been electrifying ground transportation and applying it into vehicles that fly. And the plan here is to take existing airplanes and to convert them to electric by pulling out the combustion engine and putting in a fully electric drivetrain. And so with this, we can decrease the impact on the environment and decrease the operating cost of those planes. That's great. Um, One of the things this makes me think of is, so I've always felt that we should have had electric cars a while ago. I feel that technology was just, you know, always there. But perhaps, you know, the oil industry had some hand in delaying its productions. We don't know. Maybe they try to shut it down. Do you think electric planes will face any resistance like that? Um, I think that we are not likely to see that kind of pressure against electrification. The reality is, uh, especially with electric aircraft, the economics of switching over to electric are very beneficial for um, the for the operators. And so the, the pressure to switch will actually be coming from the customer base it's unlikely that we'll have to reconvince people. And what about safety? How safe are these electric planes versus traditional flying? Yeah, so we we fundamentally fit into the same regulatory framework as existing airplanes. Uh, We actually Mm -hmm. think that the electric vehicle components are going to be more reliable and less prone to user error than the combustion engine. So um, we, we do think that there's a chance for increased safety, but certainly meeting the same levels of safety. Uh, For our first plane, what we're actually doing is converting a twin-engine plane uh, where one of the engines is going to stay combustion and the other is going to go fully electric. So it's like a hybrid. Correct, yeah. Okay, cool. Um, So how far are we away from having these electric planes? 
Well, the first uh, the first electric planes in the world are actually already out there. Uh, you what? can yeah, you could go buy a little two seater electric airplane and fly it around locally. Okay, two seater. Okay, that means I was just like, there's like a full on pl- electric plane like lying above me. <laughs> and so uh, at Ampere, we'll be flying our uh, our converted six seater coming up soon uh, this year. In order to fly commercially though, or actually to buy a ticket on an electric airplane, you're looking at about 2021 timeframe after the regulators have approved the first uh, commercially uh, available planes. Okay, cool. That's not even that far away, though. That's like yeah, pretty close. I was going to say that's a lot sooner than I had previously read. So. Right? <laughs> I, was, I was not ready for that. 2021. So would a, more electric planes, would that mean lower travel costs for consumers? Uh, it, it could lead to lower ticket prices. Certainly, it'll cost the airlines uh, less to fly those routes. Uh, so ticket prices may go down. And uh, certainly what we'll see, though, is an increased accessibility to places that flights aren't currently flown. Uh, because of poor economics. That's awesome. So you're saying that there would be less of a premium on flights to smaller locations. Do you think these places could see a rise in tourism then? Correct. Uh, it can be, so uh, to, to restate that, uh, the smaller airports, which are not currently served by commercial routes, either yeah. commercial for passengers, that's tourism and business, or logistics like package delivery, um, those routes that aren't served or communities that, that don't have uh, flights, uh, we'll see new flights serving those communities at reasonable prices. So I think that's fantastic. I mean, a lot of people talk about over-tourism in the industry and how there's these destinations that are sort of being overrun by mass tourism, but there's also an issue of under-tourism and, like you said, underdeveloped um, communities who would really benefit from a bolstering in the economy. So I think this is a, a fantastic long-term solution for that as well. Yeah, it's, it's a brilliant benefit, and I hadn't even thought about that. But let's talk about one of the more obvious benefits, the environmental impact. You know, as we said, traditional flying has a huge effect on the environment. Kevin, how much CO2 is the commercial airline industry responsible for generating per year? So commercial aviation is responsible for injecting about 800 million tons of CO2 directly into our atmosphere every year. So in terms of switching then to your electric planes, how much would your electric planes kind of counteract that? Uh, Well, when you're flying a fully electric plane, you're completely eliminating the direct emissions. Uh, Mm -hmm. Now, you have to look at what where the energy is coming from. But we see a lot of locations, especially early adoption locations, switching to completely clean grids, which can give a zero operational uh, emissions uh, for electric aircraft. That's amazing. That would actually make a huge difference. So are there any other benefits you think electric planes have over traditional flying? Absolutely. Uh, One of the other major benefits that we see with electrification is the decreased noise burden on communities. So currently, uh, cities which have community airports, uh, the people in those cities are up in arms about the noise and pollution, oftentimes shutting down the airports. So the quieter electric aircraft uh, will uh, enable communities to find these airports as assets to the communities rather than burdens. Oh, that's awesome, though. So should we as a planet then really be focusing all our efforts on electric planes? 
absolutely not. Uh, I think that there are many, many important uh, industries that need to be focused on. Uh, even within <laughs> aviation, I think there are multiple solutions that need attention. Uh, for example, for long-haul transportation, uh, these are the flights, let's say, transatlantic. Uh, you're going to need to be looking into other alternatives like biofuels or hybrid electric vehicles um, or replacing the auxiliary power units on large planes. So there's a whole portfolio of solutions that need to be pursued. Electrification is a very compelling one that I personally believe in. Uh, it's, it's one of the solutions that will help us alleviate these big problems. So it's a step in the right direction, but not necessarily the solution to everything. Correct. All right, guys. Thank you, Kevin. Thank you, Misty. You guys are amazing. Thank you. Thank you, David. Thanks so much to our guests, Kevin Neutker and Misty Foster, for talking to me about electric planes and the future of air travel. That's it from today's episode of Out of Office, powered by Contiki. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss the next episode. I'm going to be delving into the issue of men's mental health with model Mina Gurgis and rugby player Stevie Ward and asking if travel can improve your mental health. I'll also be getting tips on what to see and do in Europe and how to take that perfect picture while traveling. See you then.